And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Manchester United want Dan Ashworth to be their new sporting director. He has been placed on gardening leave after informing Newcastle of his desire to leave the club. But Newcastle won a huge fee of £20 million to release Ashworth from his contract. So how will this tussle between the two clubs play out as both teams chase Champions League football next season? And also, why is Ashworth so sought after? I'm Ayoakim Malone. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. With us today are the Athletics' David Ornstein, Manchester United writer Laurie Whitwell and Newcastle correspondent and also fresh from recording an episode of Pod on the Tyne, Chris Woff. David, let's start with you first. What is the current status of Manchester United's pursuit of Dan Ashworth at the time of recording this on Monday morning? First thing to say is that it does seem like the movement of staff and executives is becoming as if not more notable than the movement of players in the January transfer window. And as one exec described it to me, there is a war going on for talent both on and off the pitch. And so I think this is a story that's only going to get bigger because it's not just this situation, but there are a number of others around the Premier League as well. And it's really quite fascinating to see how these clubs are trying to build out their backroom operation to make themselves as robust as possible to be as competitive as they can. In this specific situation, we've known for a long time that Ineos in particular, on behalf of Manchester United, as they tried to secure investment into the club, had targeted Dan Ashworth as being their ideal sporting director. He was their first choice candidate. And since last week, when the Premier League and FA gave their approval to Sir Jim Radcliffe's 25% investment into United, the Ashworth situation has all kicked off. Until that point, there had been no approach to either Manchester United, there had been no approach to either Newcastle United or to Dan Ashworth. But we soon revealed on The Athletic that Ashworth had received an approach and had inform Newcastle of that approach. At that point, there was still no uh, club-to-club conversation. And it came to Eddie Howe's press conference on Friday, which I think was fairly extraordinary. I don't remember seeing something like that before, where the manager agreed with a question from a journalist that Dan Ashworth still being the sporting director of Newcastle at a time where he was very likely to be moving to Manchester United, basically compromised sensitive information and it needed to be resolved one way or the other as quickly as possible. How comfortable are you for this situation to go on? Because if he's privy to information and he's going to a rival, then that doesn't seem to board well long term. Yeah, I think your your concerns are, are relevant. I don't know quite how much I can say on that, but yeah, I, I share your, your feelings. 
fast forward to the weekend. He attended Newcastle's match against Bournemouth, also some scouting meetings. But on Sunday, he informed Newcastle United of his wish to leave the club. He asked to go. This broke in the media on Sunday evening. And then we revealed that Dan Ashworth has actually been placed on gardening leave by Newcastle United now. And therefore, you would suspect it's a matter of when rather than if he will be joining Manchester United. Yet still, there has not been a formal approach club to club. And this is where things will develop next. There need to be some negotiations. Is there going to be a compensation fee? Will he have to sit out a period of gardening leave before joining Manchester United? It is going to happen. It's now just about timings and finances. Laurel, from a Man United perspective, like who's leading this? It, obviously, Ineos are talking about best in class, right? So we've already seen a movement from Manchester City to Manchester United. Who's leading, who's spearheading this pursuit of Dan Ashworth? My impression of it is that Sir Dave Brailsford is very much at the forefront. Um, he's got an existing relationship with Dan Ashworth from their, their working together at the FA in 2016 uh, when Dan Ashworth was the technical director and, and Dave Brailsford was brought in as a kind of advisory role uh, about the best practice at the FA. Uh, and they've continued that relationship ever since. You know, Brailsford has got you know, quite long-lasting relationships with people in football and Ashworth being prime amongst them. So I think, as David said, you know, he was always prime in, in their thoughts for this kind of role. A strategic builder of, of clubs is, is kind of how he has built a career. I mean, yeah, obviously there's other people around the situation. Jean-Claude Blanc, who is uh, also the Ineos um, sort of chief executive of sport. Um, he's got a board uh, seat at uh, United as well once the ratification fully goes through. I know Mabarada as well, the incoming chief executive, they, they, they wanted to work from the top down basically you know realize that it's not a great situation to have perhaps you know a sporting director brought in and then a chief executive appointed above them who they might not have known they were going to work for so as it stands you know Dan Ashworth knows that if he you know if this all gets sorted, which we expect it will, that he will be working underneath Omar Barada, you know, a kind of football-focused chief executive, which is a bit of a move away from what United have had previously. So, um, yeah, that all being said, it's uh, yeah a situation that is developing. But uh, yeah, as we've touched on, it's going to be basically how much do Newcastle want to let Dan Ashworth leave properly and, and start work for you, Manchester United. Look, it looked like Newcastle were building something. Um, it still feels like they're building something. And now a key component in that, in Dan Ashworth, is looking like leaving Newcastle. And Eddie Howe, I mean, didn't say much about it, but you got a sense that he knew that the inevitable was going to happen. Yeah, I mean, it, this has been portrayed by some and certainly a lot of Newcastle fans as, it, well, you know, that th these things happened, what, what, how vital really was Dan Ashworth. But that misportrays Newcastle set up an exhaustive search to bring in a sporting director. They used an external partner to get there and it was Dan Ashworth who they wanted. And then they were willing to wait through his garden and leave from Brighton and then ended up paying compensation to get him early. He was the key builder of the club as they saw it because Newcastle had a very skeleton staff and a skeletal in infrastructure but Dan Ashworth has started the process of building that out and he's now he oversees nine departments at Newcastle and he is he is the architect there and he's only 20 months into a role which really he sees as being multi-eared usually five to six years to have a huge impact now David described Eddie Howe's press conference is extraordinary on Friday and I was there and I agree because I went in thinking, how is he going to deal with this situation? If Dan Ashworth hasn't communicated, usually Eddie Howe goes in with a straight bat, but that was never going to be sustainable because rightly there were a lot of questions to be asked as to, well, what impact is this having on Newcastle? Your sporting director, you don't even know if he's, he's going to stay. 
and how was it was sort of quietly cutting in a lot of what he said and that basically you made it quite clear that Dan Ashworth had to, to, to go out the door uh, when he was asked about being privy to, to information, transfer plans, the like. He was even asked at one stage, should he even be still in the building at this point? Should he be marched out? And his response was not, no, you know, he still works for us. It was, you have to ask someone above me, not me myself. And then there was also a really weird response that he gave was when he was asked he, he said the biggest compliment i can play to dan is that when it comes to recruitment he basically hasn't changed anything since the first window before he arrived and that was almost suggesting that you know he hasn't really been as as as, as involved as people suggest and and i mean that is slightly disingenuous because dan ashworth has been heavily involved since he came in but relationships were already built between eddie howe the ownership um steve nixon the head of recruitment various other people at the club who had to work through that first window and so dan ashworth came afterwards and it was almost like building the club backwards to a certain degree you would usually have the sporting director would appoint the manager but that wasn't the case at newcastle and and clearly the way that dan ashworth has, has handled this albeit i'm sure he would argue how can he do anything when Man United haven't actually approached Newcastle? There's been a lot of frustration internally at Newcastle as to how it's affected them over the course of the last week, if not months. From your perspective, if he does end up going to Manchester United, how, how damaging is this for that Newcastle project? I think it's damaging in the sense that he's going to a who Newcastle want to see as a direct rival. I mean, at the minute... They, they aren't in the sense that Newcastle still don't have the revenue that Manchester United do. And so th- that, that's been the issue since since the takeover happened. That on the field, certainly the, those first 18 months when Newcastle managed to qualify for the Champions League, basically the team jumped ahead of the rest of the club. The rest of the club has not caught up yet. The infrastructure still isn't sort of big six level and, and certainly the revenue streams aren't and that's why Newcastle have issues with the Premier League's profit and sustainability regulations why they couldn't spend in January when the maybe would have wanted to and so to lose Dan Ashworth who knows all of what's happened at Newcastle there to Manchester United who even given all of maybe the issues they've had over the last few years still remain one of that established elite and, and want to be returned to former glories for Dan Ashworth to be there building that rather than building it at Newcastle it is undoubtedly a blow now Newcastle themselves are adamant that they can bring someone else in that things will keep moving on and they will but as I said earlier he was the hand-picked choice to begin with and to lose him only 20 months in is it really will affect things. David, you know, if Newcastle do get 20 million for Dan Ashworth or a, a hefty compensation, Chris just alluded to it there, you know, PSR in a, for the bank balance, that's not bad, is it? <laughs> There's so much going on here uh, beyond what we're talking about. So firstly, uh, Newcastle, as we understand it, want £20 million. Um, That doesn't mean that they'll get it. Manchester United uh, do not intend to pay what they believe to be an unrealistic fee. And if they need to wait, the word from Old Trafford is that they will. Perhaps other staff can come in in the meantime, which we'll talk about a bit later. What would be expected to happen here is that some talks will take place and they'll find some sort of compromise. Dan Ashworth will be on full pay as we hear it and therefore that's another consideration in all of this. Do Newcastle want him sitting at home and pruning his garden for a considerable amount of time while giving him his full salary? You know, there's a lot of politics. There was a a big piece in uh, The Times by Martin Samuel talking about how, you know, Newcastle are trying to grow in a certain way and within Premier League circles and votes that have taken place at shareholders meetings, Manchester United have kind of tried to steer things from a political point of view in a different direction, such as the financial fair play rules and um, the uh, regulations around related party investments and transactions. 
And so there will be some here saying, well, this is coming back to bite Manchester United now. So that's the sort of wider sort of game at play. But in this sort of micro level, I think surely sense will be seen at some point soon and 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 compromises will be reached. But it, it really is fascinating. And I, I don't think Manchester United are going to have everything their way in this sense. They want a member of staff at Newcastle United and and they're going to have to perhaps go beyond where they were initially expecting to. At the same time, Newcastle won't want this hanging over them forever. They'll need to move on. They'll need to get a replacement in. One thing I suspect is that these are probably sort of opening salvos. And then as we go forward, some common sense will prevail, I hope. Am I right in thinking that actually this is a name, Dan Ashworth's name is something that's been floated around Manchester United before? I mean, Sir Alex Ferguson, I know, thought this is someone that United should be hiring. Yeah, our understanding is that Sir Alex Ferguson uh, made a recommendation to Richard Arnold, the previous chief executive, when he first came in. So this is February 2022. So this is just at the time when Dan Ashworth was looking to leave Brighton and go to Newcastle. And it is a bit interesting, Chris, I don't know if you maybe could touch on this just briefly, in that um, you know it's a similar situation, right? You know, uh, Newcastle had to wait for Brighton to kind of come to a compromise. It took about three, four months. Ultimately, they, they came to a fee. What the reality of that in that intervening period is, is interesting, you know, gardening leave is he is he absolutely just at home you know as David says pruning the bushes uh, mowing the grass um, you know <laughs> do we even know where he is at the moment is he in Newcastle <laughs> I know I know he lives in the Midlands as well so I don't know where he is as of Monday morning but he was on Tyneside over the weekend he was there for the game on Saturday and then he informed Newcastle on Sunday so he sort of splits his time between he has still, as he did when he was at Brighton he still has his home in the West Midlands near Wolverhampton but then he does stay the majority of the week up here so I, I don't know where he is as of Monday at 12 18. That's a great location update that Chris that's far more detailed than I was <laughs> anticipating there it's quite interesting because um a lot of people have pointed to that geography as being more attractive for dan ashworth i think he's got a son playing for bolton as well i was reading um so that may be a factor as well it is quite interesting it hasn't been the ideal appointment you could say for newcastle even though he was the one that they targeted over a number of other candidates who i remember in the mix at the time, there were very strong reports about Michael Emanalo, for example, formerly of Chelsea, um, and some quite heavy suggestions that he was on the verge of getting it. But then Dan Ashworth appeared and, like Chris said, they went to quite significant lengths to to get him in. Dan Ashworth, when you look at his background at West Bromwich Albion, at the Football Association... England national team, and then Brighton. Chris alluded to this. Actually, Eddie Howe did too in his press conference. These are long-term jobs. You tend to see the fruits of your labour over a considerable number of years, not a short time frame. And I think even by his own admission, Dan Ashworth probably would have felt that Brighton was actually cut short because of the Newcastle opportunity. And this wouldn't have been in the plan. I don't think he would have gone up to Newcastle expecting to leave so soon after. And so it's a bit of a jolt to the system for everybody. One thing that's quite interesting is that Eddie Howe clearly, um, having come before Dan Ashworth, but also having done well there, has built a power base, a really strong relationship with ownership, certainly in terms of the UK-based ownership. And perhaps that didn't create the ideal environment to for Dan Ashworth to operate within. Uh, clearly, when he then goes to Manchester United, as Laurie outlines, he'll be working with somebody he's very close to in Sir Dave Brailsford, pre-existing 
relationship. And this top-down approach that Ineos are taking will dictate that he will be empowered, as will others like Omar Barada, to build their own teams. I didn't actually answer your original question, Io, on PSR. Forgive me, but we need to come back to that. Newcastle will be looking at this and wanting to get the biggest fee possible. They've not been able to spend in January. They're going to have challenges spending in the summer, all because of this process of balancing the books. And if they can get a big fee in for a sporting director who, if they are so important, why aren't we talking about them in the same way we talk about player transfers, even very average players who go for more money than this. Um, And equally, Manchester United, they've got a challenge from a financial fair play perspective of their own. And every bit of money that goes out on somebody like Dan Ashworth is taking away from what that person, when he comes into Manchester United, is going to be able to spend. So that's another thing that we need to consider under the surface in all of this. It's it's really quite fascinating and, and remarkable, but it, it seems to be a move that Dan Ashworth felt, how often is it going to come around? Is it too good to turn down to be part of what many feel is an exciting new project at Manchester United? And if it succeeds... I and many others feel it has the potential, given Manchester United's history and status and DNA and fan base and marketing appeal and and so much more besides, to be one of, if not the biggest projects in world football. It certainly does feel, as David's touched on there, it's negotiation afoot, right? It's a game of poker. It is, we know what our position is on the Newcastle United side, you know, Ineos and Manchester United. Also, we know what our uh, abilities are in this hand of, of, of cards. So he's on gardening leave and, you know, he's he, ha- he does have some secrets, I suppose, to Newcastle's you know, uh, summers. You know, is, is he really... You know, not going to have any communication with anybody at Manchester United like in that period. That's a question that I'd be kind of interested to know. Um, but is that does that then become a bit of leverage in in Manchester United saying to Newcastle, "Come on, the reality of the situation is you just want us to pay you a certain amount of money. Let's just get round the table and, and negotiate that and, and come to a certain fee." That's ultimately what Newcastle did with Brighton. And just back to your original question, Ao, that's at the point obviously when Sir Alex Ferguson was suggesting to Richard Arnold, the, the former chief executive, that Ashworth would be a decent person to perhaps have a look at and maybe employ because Arnold was asking questions about the structure at United, how have they spent all this money on recruitment and it's not really got them all that much to show for it. But uh, my understanding is that when that call was made by Richard Arnold to Dan Ashworth, uh, it was in the process of this sort of move from perhaps we hadn't you know fully agreed to Newcastle, it was sort of this exit clause. So at that point, Manchester United would have still had the same uh, discussion with Brighton over, over that uh, exit if, if they'd have chosen to pursue that route. Um, but the proposal for Ashworth in that situation was more to work alongside, possibly even underneath John Murta, who is the football director. And um, that was something that Ashworth wasn't really uh, interested in. As David's touched on, he's more of a, you know, the, the, the top guy, to put it bluntly, um, who would, you know, build out himself rather than kind of take direction from other people. Laurie asked before about the situation when Newcastle brought Dan Ashworth from Brighton and there being similarities. And there are a lot of similarities, but there are also differences, which I think will play into the negotiation hands here. And that's, first of all, that the way that Newcastle at least see it at this stage is that they went through the front door to Brighton. They were quite clear all along and that they don't see Manchester United necessarily so far have acted in, in the same way. They see this as being almost a public courtship. And there's certainly frustration from at least some quarters on that. Secondly, whereas Brighton, I think, accepted that although they didn't want to lose Dan Ashworth, they realised that Dan Ashworth was going to a club who probably had 
uh, visions above what they could achieve. Newcastle have visions that they want to be, as, as Yasser Ramayan, the, the governor of PAF and, and Newcastle's chairman has said, they want to be number one. Now, Manchester United, therefore, are a direct rival to them. So losing him to Manchester United, there is an issue there. And also, there is already a bit of tension between Newcastle and Manchester United over the course of the last couple of years, even if this is going to be another regime. There was a lot of frustration with Newcastle, in Newcastle in January 2022 when they tried to get Jesse Lingard on loan and were quoted a fee, I think it was nearly 15 million pounds to, to sign him on loan it was 12 to 15 million pounds to sign him on loan to the end of the season and so there's some people who certainly fans at least are suggesting Newcastle why should they show that and just to be petty because you know I, this is football we love pettiness even at the start of, of this program I went at one stage you said United and Newcastle Newcastle United fans get very annoyed at that because they are Newcastle United as well and it's that pettiness in football that we all love and so they will want to see Newcastle hold their position as much as they can and it's, it's, as everyone says this is very much a negotiation and stance from both sides but Newcastle aren't just going to let Dan Ashworth go because Manchester United have, uh, well this situation has unfolded like this they still either want to hold him to guard and leave or at the very least they want to get good compensation to release him from it because and if you push me for what I think will happen at this stage, I think there's at least some voices at Newcastle who don't want to see Dan Ashworth start before the end of the summer window because that's the concern, I think, at this stage is he's privy to information, Newcastle's outlying plans going into that. And if they can, certainly they'll be keen for that not to happen. Whether that turns out in practice once they get around the negotiating table, we shall see. But I would say that that is certainly where some people at Newcastle see these things as being. Chris, you guys have been um, asking fans to send in some questions, which are going to go online tomorrow from your perspective. Uh, like, what, what kind of questions are coming in from Newcastle fans about this situation? A lot of the questions are, what do Newcastle do next in terms of, it, it, there's almost this acceptance that, that Dan Ashworth's gone or, or he is going. So obviously he's on garden and leave. It, it, it felt untenable from Friday. I'd, I'd written a column on Friday, basically, that it felt untenable after Eddie Howe's press conference that, that Dan Ashworth would stay after that. It already was, was heading that way anyway. And now it certainly is untenable. He's been placed on garden and leave. That relationship's not going to be rebuilt. But where, so where, what do Newcastle do next? Dan Ashworth was seen as, as a club builder. Now, some of that is already in place. We know that a lot of the fruits of that won't come until sort of three, four years down the line, maybe certainly at academy level and elsewhere. And there are still changes that need to be made. But do they need someone like Dan Ashworth who refers to himself, it's become almost a cliche, but he refers to himself as sort of the, the hub of the wheel and the spokes come off it in different departments. He's not necessarily a specialist in recruitment or a specialist in any of the other areas. He brings the right people in below him. So do Newcastle decide we still need a club builder or is the infrastructure there now and that they go for a slightly different model where it's a slightly different specialism that a sporting director or whatever position it may be. That is where all the questions are with Newcastle now. Do, do they still have the same ambitions as before? Everyone at Newcastle is categorically, yes, we do. But this, the second question is then, how do you replace Dan Ashworth? More than, than who so far is, what do they want to replace him with? Then it becomes, who would they look to bring in? Chris, thanks so much for joining us. And also make sure you listen to the Athletics Newcastle podcast with Chris, Pod on the Tyne, which will be out later today. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms or restrictions apply. 
Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Yeah, Laura, let's talk about Manchester United fans. I mean, there's there's a lot of change happening and look, you know, things are looking good on the football pitch as well. A lot of people might be thinking it's all tickety-boo at Manchester United. Should Man United fans just temper that excitement just a little bit? Everything's fine, isn't it? Ayo, four wins on the bounce. Uh, no problems at all at Kenilworth Road. Yeah, I mean, you, you have to temper everything with United. You know, we've been here, Manchester United, sorry, Chris. Uh, I know he's gone now, but I'll try and maintain that. Just because we've been here before with, with Manchester United and, you know, I think this is different in the sense of you've got people here now who have real momentum and force of personality to try and get things done. Whether they have, whether they make the right decisions remains to be seen, but uh, they do have a background in making a success of, you know, I mean, Sir Jim Ratcliffe in terms of his business, absolutely uh, incredible um, sort of rise that, that Ineos have had. And then also Sir Dave Brailsford with uh, the cycling. I know it wasn't without controversy, but you have to go back to the, the, the way that he transformed British cycling and, and got, you know, these elite performers. So, and he says he's not a football expert, but he feels and Ratcliffe feels that, you know, he can pick the right people. And by all accounts, Dan Ashworth is a very good football executive in what United need. Somebody that can come in and identify the kind of positions that are required and then also get the best out of those people and make sure that, you know, recruitment is on point, you know, making sure that you can go for a player at the right moment and knowing who to call in different moments. You know, Ashworth has got good relationships with a lot of, you know, agents in the football world, which I think has been a bit of an issue for United previously in that, you know, they've, they've maybe missed out on players because they haven't been able to go on the front foot for them or, or have the kind of strength of their convictions that this is a player that they really should go for and, and get them at a cheaper price rather than kind of wait until they've perhaps produced elsewhere and then they've had to pay a higher fee for them, which goes back to the financial fair play, the PSR uh, regulations and calculations. Um, that's why United are in this kind of tight position because they've overspent uh, for several years. So, um I do feel like that this is a bit different than the previous times when we've heard about the change because previously, you know, so the last time there was this kind of, oh, you know, United changing their structure was when, you know, John Murtagh was appointed football director and, and Darren Fletcher was appointed technical director. And that was, you know, Edward Wood as executive um, vice chairman saying, you know, we're going to go down this this more um, sort of continental route and have, you know, a better link between the board and the manager. And really it wasn't, it didn't work out like that. It never really was going to because these were internal appointments from with people that hadn't done that level of job before. Whereas with Dan Ashworth, he's proven over the years at West Bromwich Albion, at, at Brighton, at the FA, and, and more recently at Newcastle. Although I know it's you know perhaps not as um, you know, deep deeper pool to to have a sample of um, at Newcastle, but he's done this job, you know, so it it does fit. Um, and yeah, whether or not he can actually then make Manchester United a success because there's a different level of expectation at Manchester United. There's more scrutiny. Um, it's perhaps more difficult in certain scenarios to get value for money because people see Manchester United calling and they had a few zeros on. Um, but I still think there's there's very many ways in which Man United could be better at um, you know getting good value for players and also just 
you know, the, the kind of cohesive unit of a football club, all the different departments coming together, which is something that yeah Dan Ashworth should be able to help with. And it's not going to be alone, is it? I mean, you know, uh, David's already reported about uh, Jason Wilcox being identified as a, a senior football role. Um, I, I believe there'll be somebody else coming in as well, at least. And this is, feels like it's going to be an evolving situation that Brailsford is very hands-on with. David, let, let's talk about that. You know, the, the infrastructure or the structure, I should say, at Manchester United, Omar Barada already coming in from Manchester City, potential Ashworth and also a, a name Laurie's just mentioned in, in, in Jason Wilcox. What is it starting to look like behind the scenes at Manchester United now? Look, it's abundantly clear that Ineos will have had a very defined picture of what they envisaged for Manchester United. It might not be too dissimilar to how they've operated in cycling or sailing or their other football clubs, OGC Nice and Lausanne Sport. Um, But tailoring it towards Manchester United and what their due diligence uncovered on how things are at the moment and what they would like to see and what they believe is needed to succeed going forward. It was clearly a chief executive um, of... Uh, real potential because Omar Barada had not had or held that position before, uh, but had the required skill set and took everybody by surprise when we broke that story and they announced it. And it's seen as being very impressive. Laurie describes it as a more sort of football uh, type chief executive and, and many Man United fans welcome that. Let's see how it unfolds. And then he would build this team below him. And so a key appointment being sporting director, of course, um, it would need Omar Barada's approval. But Ineos, as we've explained, would have already had Dan Ashworth in their thinking. Um, There were others who were rumoured and and reported on to be in the frame. Just off the top of my head, there were people like Julian Ward, who did a very good job at, at Liverpool, although his time as sporting director after Michael Edwards was quite brief. Paul Mitchell was another one as well. Uh, He, like Julian Ward, is available. Ward left Liverpool. Mitchell has left Monaco. Um, But my information is that very early on, uh, he made clear to Ineos, who he will know from the south of France, because of course they've got Nice and he worked at Monaco and I think they all lived in the same area and they're largely English, that this was an opportunity that he did not wish to pursue. And that's created a bit of confusion among all involved as to how there have been so many links with him and Manchester United. But I think he's returning to the UK and told them he wants to spend time with his family ahead of deciding on his next uh, pursuit. And we broke the news last week that they are working on a deal to appoint Jason Wilcox, as Laurie mentioned, from Southampton, he's the director of football there. We don't know of an official approach to Southampton yet, but he is aware of the interest. And Omar Barada worked with him previously at Manchester City, where he came up from youth coach to head of academy and so on. He's not been at Southampton long, but he is very well regarded in the game. And Laurie mentions one more appointment, which we think may be to sort of head up operations on Manchester United, Nice, and Lausanne as sort of like the multi-club model. Um, Within those, there could be further appointments, no doubt, in time, because this feels like a transformation. And that's why you're seeing names like Kyle McCauley in the newspapers over the weekend. He's currently an analyst at Chelsea. He moved there with Graham Potter from Brighton. And if Dan Ashworth is coming to Manchester United, then the Brighton uh, link 
naturally arises again. Yeah, the jigsaw slowly coming together here, isn't exactly. it? Exactly. The the pieces are falling like Tetris. Um, and then you have another name in the public domain is Sam Jewell, who's currently the head of recruitment at Brighton. Um, he's the son of the former manager, Paul Jewell. And uh, he has been linked with United, although we think it's most likely he would actually move to Chelsea in this sort of merry-go-round. And that has led some to suspect that could this be paving the way for the next manager of Manchester United or head coach to be Graham Potter? And we know he's very highly thought of by Ineos. There's been a meeting, I think it was more in relation to to Nice, but I can only go on the information that I've got at the moment and that's that they're behind Eric Ten Hag for now and um, they want to build with him going forward. You never know in football. Things can, of course, change from their perspective, from a manager's perspective too. But I think they feel they're on a pretty good track with him at the moment. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akimolev. The boardroom has been disrupted, which means that there's a complete new energy with decisions being made. There's a new chief executive, Gary Inomar Brada. There is potentially a sporting director. But let let me ask you about him. How long have I been asking for just a a CEO that loves football, a sporting director, a sporting department? I can show up now about it because one's got a department (laughs) that's come in. Obviously, I want to temper excitement, but I mean, you're you're, you're seeing a, a bit of a, I would say, a fantastic group of executives potentially coming to Manchester United to take the club to the next level? I think it's definitely exciting times in a sense of, you know, change happening. And certainly from an Ineos perspective, they feel that making these kind of bold appointments quickly, you know, if they do manage to succeed in in all of them, but it does feel that it it could go that way, um, spreads momentum around a club like Manchester United, where there has been a case of inertia for several years because of the Glazer ownership, you know, having to run everything by Joel Glazer, um, the distance of kind of having that person at the very top of the tree um just that that gap means that you know things happen slowly and then also just in general you know the executive you know, sort of team are they you know as decisive as they could be in in these uh, in this period so i think you know the Ineos idea is to you know kind of come in with a bang and you know make sure that people are kind of taking notice and okay this is serious we better book up our ideas if we're a staff member at Manchester United if we want to you know stay on this train 
anyone we should be looking at right now who's probably shuffling in their seats wondering whether or not they're still going to be at Manchester United come next season? The football director, uh, John Murtagh, his position has been under scrutiny um, since this uh, deal was announced because Ineos came in with the intention of appointing a sporting director. Now, you know, does, if Dan Ashworth is to be that person, does he... You know, how does he see that role with John Murta happening? This is kind of maybe an evolving situation where there might be, you know, intentions, but actually until you kind of get to grips with things and see the realities, you know, things can change. Um, you know, I think that being said, you know, the, the sense has grown. I think that since Brailsford's been in the door that, you know, John Murta will ultimately uh, exit the club. Um, but how that happens and in what form, I, I don't know. Um, there has been a suggestion that he could and he would be able, would be open to taking a, a sort of reduced role or a different role, finding that he's, you know, Know, provides a lot of value in terms of the administration of the club. He certainly knows all the ins and outs at Carrington. So whether Ineos look at that and go, actually, you know, there's a, there's a different use for you here, then um, that's something that they'll have to come to decide. Darren Fletcher, I mean, it was always an interesting sort of appointment him as technical director just because he hadn't done the job before and he'd kind of come in as a, a coach uh, under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, learning his badges, really. He was, he's was a developing coach as well. Now, obviously, he's got the heritage in Manchester United. He understands the club. He knows what it is to come through the academy and, and to work and, and toil and, and, and the realities of the situation. His two sons, actually, his twin sons are now, have, have made the switch themselves from Manchester City to United and they're in the, uh, the, the academy setup now um, so I, but I do think his role will be sort of reimagined and I, I get the sense that he is someone that is you know very valuable to United so that they would like to keep him around but but the technical director role it's just not really what he's been doing it's been more of a sort of bridge between the academy and the first team and also helping out a little bit with first team coaching and trying to provide a little bit of that cultural uh, background to the club I suppose um, but yeah and there's other people in there I, I do I am told that Ineos appreciate that there are people there that have um, great skills and great strengths and perhaps with a bit more focus and leadership they can really thrive so I wouldn't say that you know it's absolutely uh, a scorched earth policy at all um, but just with a little bit more sort of yeah guidance then people can really and, and a sort of license to thrive then people you know, might well take that a small point on Steve Brown and it kind of goes into what we're talking about in terms of how roles get delineated but his official title is director of scouting operations so he actually doesn't really make calls on players I mean it was first sort of presented to me a few years ago when his name popped up in the conversation maybe like you know 2018-2019 that he was head of recruitment uh, and I so I don't know if that actually then changed you know throughout the course of the next couple of years and it's it's definitely now director of scouting operations so he kind of organizes the scouts and United have have had you know 140 uh, over the, the the globe and and in you know full-time and part-time work which is a lot of scouts and they've actually you know worked recently to kind of tailor that so that that the, they're already making changes in, in that department um but yeah the, these are all the kind of things that will be discussed and have been discussed but it is easier said than done I think getting to grips with a club the scale of Manchester United and then trying to right the ship. Tiny addition to that, I should don my tin hat because Man United fans who are so excited about this revolution might not like or appreciate this evolutionary tone. But um, Ineos very conceivably will come in and look at all of these departments and see that some quite good work was underway. Yeah, perhaps it hadn't come to fruition so far, although there's been some good results recently, but I'm talking more long-term. Um, 
many of these people, for good or for bad, have been at the club a long time, know its workings, and were trying to bring about the changes that were necessary. So it's not inconceivable that Ineos will ask what they were doing, find out, and say, oh, that's not actually too bad, and just try and enhance it and harness it in their own way. And that taps into what Laurie's saying, that some of their skill sets are applicable uh, for what Ineos might want going forward. And they'll then have to adapt because I'm sure Ineos, like any company in their position, will start to implement and infuse ways of working, language, processes that are not what United have been used to. And and this is all part of like a, a blending process that everybody at the club is going to have to get used to because I don't think many appreciated just how influential Ineos would be given it was a 25% stake. They were presented as minority um, owners but clearly they have intentions to become the full owners of Manchester United. We're seeing that with stadium plans and local area redevelopment, but also the way they are um, immersing themselves into the club. Uh, I think that has perhaps uh, taken many of us by surprise in that they are the ones running the show now. They have got the keys to this. And yes, the Glazers remain the majority shareholder and uh, still have a significant voice in matters but this is the Ineos show yeah well some big changes still to come at Manchester United clearly buckle your seat belts Manchester United fans it's going to be a fascinating ride to say the least gents thanks so much for your time David Laurie and also Chris as well now don't forget to rate and review the podcast and we'll be back for another episode tomorrow appreciate you listening The Athletic